Please take your Bibles this morning and open to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. I want to start there to show you the context. But I'm going to preach from chapter 16, verses 1 through 14. If you look at Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, it says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And then he spoke the parable of the lost sheep. I preached on that many weeks ago. Then he talked about the parable of the lost coin, which I preached on. And last time I was here, I preached about the parable of the lost son. The prodigal son. The prodigal son is the most famous parable, probably, I would argue, that is known by Jesus, uh, that Jesus Christ taught and known by the world. And Jesus is telling these parables to get at the Pharisees, to basically verbally hit these leaders in the mouth right where they need to be hit and put down because they're evil and they're abusing the people under their care. And then, here in chapter 16, Jesus tells another parable. This parable is probably the most difficult parable to understand. We go from the most well-known parable in chapter 15 to the most difficult parable to understand today. But I'm going to make it simple for you, and you're going to understand it very easily. Look at chapter 16, verses 1. All the way through verse 14. I'll read there. This is our passage today. Verse 1. He also said to his disciples, There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give it an account of your stewardship. For you can no longer be steward. In other words, the master is going to fire the steward and put him out of a job. Verse 3 says this. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking his stewardship away from me. I cannot dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do. That when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. That when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, 
If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve Mm -hmm. God and mammon. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we pray for your wisdom, for your insight and understanding of this passage of Scripture and how it rightly applied to the disciples at first in their time period and how it applies to us as well. In Jesus Christ's name, we give you thanks and praise. Amen. Well, as I mentioned earlier, we looked at the, the most famous parable last time, which was the parable of the prodigal son, well known by that title. Now we come to this parable, this strange parable called, which is commonly called the parable of the unjust steward. The unjust steward. Now, what I want to do, first of all, before I get to the text, is to give you two points of information that, that helps to guide what's going on here that will make it really easy to interpret and even apply to us. Number one is this. Jesus Christ is addressing a change of history. Obviously. A very simple point. Things are moving from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. From an old Israel to a new Israel. And the new Israel is the church. This is really how simple this parable is. This is what it's talking about. And the rulers, the bad rulers in the Old Covenant Israel are being fired and being put out of a job, basically. And Jesus Christ is changing things in order to come and bring it into the new covenant. That's specifically the context that Jesus Christ is addressing this, the change of history. Secondly, I want to spend some time on this a little bit to help you understand this. And this is that the Bible actually uses wealth and money in a lot of contexts to illustrate the blessings of God to the old covenant people. The Bible uses wealth and money to illustrate the blessings of God during the old covenant. The problem is those blessings were corrupted by the leaders of old Israel, by the leaders that Jesus Christ is addressing. Now, what I want to do to justify this and explain this, I want to read to you a passage in Revelation chapter 8. It's a lengthy passage, but it's really instructive because it goes through all this money, all this wealth and prosperity. And the reason why it's helpful to understand in Revelation chapter 18, what it's illustrating is, is the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem, 40 years after Jesus Christ, is illustrated as a very immoral woman. And she is filled with riches But she's very immoral, and the Romans are going to come in there and destroy her. And here's how it illustrates the destruction of Jerusalem at this time. And notice the language of luxury and wealth and all these blessings that God gave her, but they were using it for evil. Here it is. Revelation chapter 18, verse 9 says this. The kings of the land who who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her, that's Jerusalem, They will weep and lament her when they see the smoke of her burning. 
standing at a distance for fear of their of her torment. They will say, alas, alas, that great city Babylon, which is Jerusalem at that time, that mighty city in one hour judgment has come and the merchants of the land will weep and mourn over her because no one buys her merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk, scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of moist uh, uh, of, the, of the most precious wood, bronze, iron and marble and cinnamon and incense and fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, flour and wheat, cattle and sheep and horses and chariots and the bodies and souls of men. This is what time out. This is what the people were getting from ancient Jerusalem and benefiting from it and making so much money on it. Now she is being destroyed and brought down. Verse 14 says this, The fruit of your soul longed for had, that, that, that you have longed for has gone from you, and all the things which made you rich and splendor and have splendor are gone from you, and they'll be found in you no more. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment and weeping and wailing. I could keep going on and on, but the point I'm getting at you is this. The Bible is using wealth. The Bible is using money and luxury at this, in this context to say, look what God gave ancient Israel. All those spiritual blessings, all the Bible, all the privileges of knowing God. It's using wealth and money to say, look how great it was. But they soiled it. They used it for evil. Now God is going to change, transition history from the old covenant to the new covenant. This is going to help us understand what's meant by this term. Unrighteous mammon. Did you catch that when I read that in the passage earlier? Jesus talks about using unrighteous mammon. Well, the unrighteous mammon is these old covenant benefits, these old covenant privileges. Okay. With that as a beginning, as an introduction, let's look at the parable and walk, and walk through it. Number one, look at verse one. It says, There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought against him that this man was wasting his goods. Notice this. There's two people here. There's a master and there's a manager under him. In the parable, the master is God. This is God, the master. And the steward or the manager under him, he's the one in charge of all these debts and all the stuff under his care. The manager or the steward is the Pharisees. It is the lawyers, the scribes, the religious rulers in Jesus' day. And they're being called and held to an account. There's an accusation that comes before the throne of God or the master in heaven. And he wants to bring them before and says, what are you doing? I've heard you've been cheating and plundering the people under your care. That's basically what's going on here. So in the parable, you can see how it fits with God calling the Pharisees in to an account. Notice the language as well. In verse 1, it says that the accusation was this, that the steward was wasting his goods. What does that remind you of? It reminds you of the prodigal son. Remember, he got the inheritance from his father, and what did he do? He wasted his goods. He wasted it all. 
But what happened to the prodigal son? Did he stay there in the pit of the pigs? He repented. He came back to his father. The same language is used here about the the scribes and Pharisees. They're being held to an account. They've been found wasting the goods of the father, of the manager, of the master in charge. So if you compare this with the prodigal son, what's happening is, is this. Jesus is giving them a chance. A chance to repent. A chance to be like the prodigal son who wasted his goods and to come back to repentance. He's basically saying there's a window of opportunity that you have. You are like the prodigal son wasting their goods. Are you going to think wise? Are you going to prepare for the future? You have a chance. He's given them a way out in this parable of going and moving along into the church. We're going to see an application of this later, but I just wanted to make that point right now. So, moving on in verse 2, what happens? In verse 2, it says, the manager, or excuse me, the master called the steward in and says, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you are going to be fired. You can no longer be steward. What's really important to do is to catch what's called an echo. An echo in the scripture means this. Something was said early in the Bible, and it carries forward to the New Testament, and there's an echo. It, rem- it makes you remember something that happened earlier in the Bible. You remember the book of Exodus? They were in slavery under Pharaoh, and God appeared to Moses and said, I hear the cries of my people. This is what's going on here. There are debtors being oppressed by these managers. And God hears the complaint. This is like another exodus being prepared to happen. There are managers who are pressing people under them, and God is going to fire the managers. They're acting like slave drivers, and they are acting like Pharaoh. God hears the oppression of the poor under the rule of those managers. So God is angry, and God is going to fire them. Now, here's what's interesting. The steward, the manager, realizes he's going to get fired. And he thinks, you know, I can't go dig holes for a living, and I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to beg for money. What am I going to do? You know what? There's a guy out there who owed, his, who owed the master 50, but I charged him 100. That's actually what's going on here by implication. The manager, when he reduces the debts, he's reducing the debts down to what the people actually owed. Whenever he approached the person and said, how much do you owe my master? He said, man, I owe owe the master a hundred barrels of wheat. And the manager says, you know, reduce it down to to 50. The implication right there is, is that the unjust steward was unjust. That guy actually borrowed 50 barrels of wheat, but the manager said, you know what? You owe 60 now. You owe 70, 80, 90, 100. He was making money off the difference. That's what's going on. That's exactly how the scribes and Pharisees treated the people of Israel. This is how they they approached that widow who gave all of her two mites all of her money, they expected the widow to empty all of her pockets and give, it, give everything away to the temple. And so whenever the manager 
goes back and reduces everything down to what the people owe or cuts it in half and that, you see a sign of repentance. You see that no longer is he being unjust. Now he's being just. Now he realizes, the master realizes what the manager has done. The master says, hmm, good job. You've reduced those deaths, but also good job. You're shrewd. Meaning this, you're wise. You figured it out. Because he knows he's going to get fired. And the master says, you are very smart. Now, the people you helped out, they will help you out. You scratch their back, now they will scratch your back. So that guy, whenever he starts reducing all these debts down, that man's going to like him. He's going to develop friends all around town. So when he loses his job, now he can go and find a job with that person and that person. Or they, he may even live with them for a while because you reduce my debts so far down. Jesus uses money and finances and all this to illustrate the oppression of the people. They charge too much money for the sacrifices to come into the temple. They are persuading the Pharisees and the tax collectors and the scribes. They are persuading people to take money from their parents who are in need, their elderly parents, and just give it, give it to the temple. They were taxing people a whole lot more than the, what they were supposed to do. And so all the people under this unrighteous stewardship were suffering that type of oppression. That's why the master here, look at verse 8. The master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. That means now he, he realizes that you have made your way, your way so that now you can find a job with these people that you've reduced their debts for. And also, notice verse 8. It says this. The sons of this age, it's not the word world. The sons of this age are more shrewd than the generation, in their generation, than the sons of light. God commends the formerly unjust manager for doing what is wise. That's what's happening here. The sons of light, in this context are the Jewish people. The Jewish people at this time in history were the sons of light. And if, you, if the Gentiles out there, the Gentiles are the sons of this age, that age, if they knew they were going to get fired, they would be shrewd, just like that. But here's the question. Did the Pharisees wake up? Did the Pharisees wake up and realize that they needed to repent of their oppression and start treating the church rightly? A lot of them did not. Very few of them did. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he actually joined the church. Later in the book of Acts, chapter 15, you see some Pharisees joining the church, but they wanted to mandate circumcision on the church. A lot of the Pharisees were too prideful. They couldn't let go of the, the temple gold, and they couldn't treat the church members rightly. So therefore, they're excluded from eternal life. They didn't repent. They hardened their heart. And many of them died in that destruction of Jerusalem 40 years later. That's predicted in the book of Revelation. So Jesus Christ 
He is really challenging the Pharisees saying this in verse 9. And he's saying this to his disciples in the hearing of the Pharisees. Look at verse 9. He says, I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, so that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. What he's saying is this. Pharisees, you need to treat my followers with your unrighteous mammon, your money from all the old covenant, You treat my followers well. If you do, they'll receive you into the church. If you do, they will not excommunicate you. If you treat them well, you will find repentance. And you'll be brought into the church and have everlasting life. And that's why whenever Jesus Christ talks about being faithful and unrighteous mammon, he's talking about the old covenant benefits. The old covenant privileges. And it's going to come a day where they will have something of their own. That is the kingdom of God given to the church, given to the people of God. But they were loyal to their one master, that unrighteous mammon. They were loyal to the death, a lot of these Pharisees. And therefore, they did not serve God. They served their old covenant position, that unrighteous mammon. What do we learn from all this? Two things I want to learn to the show you this. When you apply this parable, I know there's a lot of details, but think of this. Number one, you see God's character. Even with the Pharisees who hated Jesus, God gave them a chance of repentance. Even with the Pharisees who were going against the church, Jesus is patient, saying you have a chance to be in good standing with the church if you repent now. It'll go easy for you in the future. God is very slow in bringing final judgment. You see this in Adam and Eve. God did not just kill Adam and Eve quickly right there. He delayed the death penalty. He even forgave them, clothed them, and the skins there in Genesis chapter 3. God is so gracious. He gives people chances to repent. He even gave this generation After Jesus, 40 years. Before the destruction of Jerusalem, he gave them a chance to believe in in the very one that they crucified. Another thing you think about is this. God provides a way out. The Pharisees kind of backed themselves into a corner. They were opposing Jesus. They were opposing the disciples. They're losing ground with the nation of Israel under them. They don't, what, what happens? What's going to happen? They, they're backing themselves into a corner. They're in a, uh, they're in a city that's going to be destroyed by the Romans. Jesus Christ has given them a way out to say, this is how you can join the church and be in good with the church. Treat my followers well, and they will welcome you. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 saying this, that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. God is faithful, though. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able. And with the temptation will make an escape that you can bear it. Sometimes we feel like we, we backed ourselves into a corner. Sometimes we may feel like that there is no way out. We're on the opposite, the opposing side of something. And all opposition is against us. God always provides a way out, out of the trial, out of the test, out of the temptation. In this context, Jesus Christ has preached three critical parables hitting the Pharisees hard, 
hurting them, really. And then in this parable, he basically says, there's a way out. Just be just. Repent of your sins. And when you do that and you treat my followers well, they'll welcome you into the new kingdom. Things are changing from the old covenant to the new covenant. It shows you that no matter what happens in history, there's going to be a a newness that comes after the old. God is going to raise up little disciples to put down those who have corrupted a government, a country, a system. God is going to raise up people over and over throughout history to bring newness to life. That's what happens in this mega transition of history, going from old covenant to new covenant. If God does this in the big scheme, he can do it on the small scheme, like in America. He can do that with generations, where people who corrupted themselves, those people will suffer that judgment and have a way out, and a new generation will come up with righteous mammon. Or you can say, doing things rightly under the stewardship of the master. So Jesus Christ, we see his mercy in this passage, and at the same time we see his justice. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your word. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will strengthen people to see that they have always a way out of trials and tests and temptations. And Lord, that you will open those doors and give people the faith to see that you are merciful and gracious, always welcoming the repentant, always welcoming those who want a new start. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will help the church realize the kingdom we have under the rule of God, that we are adopted into an eternal kingdom, an eternal covenant. We're baptized into Christ and all the privileges, all the benefits that you've given us. Lord, we pray that you will give us wisdom to use it for the good of others and to your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.